Hello, and welcome to our financial services podcast series, Don't Break the Bank, Run It and Change It. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and together with my co-host, Brian Hayes, we've both worked for over 30 years in banking and banking IT. This is a podcast for curious minds in the financial services industry. The purpose of our podcast is to explore some topics and questions which we didn't even know were questions when we were working on the other side. Since we started with this podcast series, the world has clearly changed. Our focus today is not so much on the run versus change the bank, but continuing to serve customers in these unprecedented times and how we can help our colleagues and community to get through this together. We recorded this episode on the morning of the 24th of March. This was the morning after the UK Prime Minister came onto the television to tell the whole of the UK they were locked down and needed to stay at home to save lives. I caught up with my colleagues Brian Hayes and Rory Chowdhury and we talked about what we're hearing from customers, what they're doing to continue business and how we can use our experience to help. Now, the last few of these we've recorded, we've recorded them from uh, from in the office. And and today we're all social distancing and working from home and uh, and connecting remotely. So um, I think we'll start with the, if you hear funny noises in the background, that's young children running around here in between homeschooling sessions. So Brian, could you quick intro? Uh, thank you, Matthew. Uh, yeah, uh, Brian Hayes. I've recently joined VMware to work um as the industry lead for financial services in EMEA. And in that role, I'll be supporting our go-to-market teams um, in their dialogue with our FS clients. Good morning. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Brian. Um, Rory Chowdhury. My uh, day job is Solution Marketing Director for Cloud for VMware across Europe and the Middle East and Africa, uh, which is a a fancy way of saying I do an awful lot of talking to customers, uh, telling them about what we do, finding out what they do and how they want to do it in the future. Been with VMware about coming up to nine years now. Great. Thank you, Rory. I think that uh, no matter how much planning we've been putting in place within, within our financial services accounts, no one really expected it it to be quite like this. If I may, let's start the conversation around what are you hearing from our customers? What are the what are the kind of the the big issues they're facing and, and they're looking for some help with Rory? Well I think the the immediate and obvious one is we're having to do what we do normally, but in a completely different way. And at the same time there are a whole bunch of immediate Uh, urgent, pressing new requirements. So what are they? Day jobs literally do not go away. I think you and I were talking earlier, Matthew, and saying we're both um, at least as busy as we've ever been. And that's what I'm hearing from from customers, that normal processes have to continue, particularly for larger organizations. But at the same time, there's a new pressing urgency for how do we enable our entire workforce to work from home? With many customers, they're quite used to the idea of having certain numbers of people work from home some of the time. I know myself, you know, for the last 20 years, I've worked from home a couple of days a week, but it's a mix and it's not everybody working from home all the time. And that presents different challenges, uh, 
never mind the cultural side, just stick with the technical side. It, it presents challenges to our core audience of how they enable that, how they enable that with security, how they enable that on, frankly, some people having uh, mixed ability broadband connections, shall we say. Um, you know, all of this is, is adding to a real particular challenge that um, I think it's across the board. It, there is no particular country that's going to avoid this, uh, certainly not in, in our territory. And what we're, I guess, trying to do, and, and we'll no doubt get to that, is, is use our own learnings, use our own experience within VMware. We are, after all, a 30,000-person company globally facing exactly the same challenge uh, to try and assist our customers to jump over the hurdles and uh, keep going in whatever passes for normal these days. I think that certainly resonates with the customers I'm talking with as well. So a lot of the interactions we have with customers are obviously face-to-face. -face. They're in their offices. They're at large events, um, either you know us attending their events or them coming to ours. And we're just, we're just completing all of our kickoff events instead of those being in person to being virtual. Our company meeting has now been virtual. Virtual meetings seems to be the the new big, the new big new big way of doing these things. You know, in, in your in your space, um, Rory, particularly inside of a, of the marketing organisation, is that proving you know even more challenging, or is that something that just is a you know different kind of opportunity for it? It's incredibly challenging. Um, you know, we have for for many years employed a mix of different. Uh, what are affectionately known as marketing tactics. Uh, plenty of face-to-face -face events, executive dinners, large gatherings, uh, all of which are scratched, you know, for the foreseeable future. And you can't just lift an event or an occasion from a physical format and drop it into a virtual format. You know, well, I suppose you can, but it doesn't work very well. Uh, so just like our customers, we're in the position where we're having to rethink how we do what we do for a virtual environment in a virtual world. Yes, there are benefits. You know, I'm certainly enjoying not having to sit on the M25 for uh, upwards of two hours every day. But um, I, I think, you know, the, the challenges that, that are presented in terms of how do you uh, how do you effectively communicate your message to an audience? Um, get across that, you know, one of the challenges we have at VMware is we really can help in this situation and going forward, you know, because I think these changes will occasion uh, long-term differences in how customers behave. And I'm hearing that from, from a number of different customers that, you know, there will be a return, but not all the way back. We're going to see people do things a little bit differently. So, um, you know, to, to answer your question, it's difficult. We're managing. We're busier uh, in terms of planning and changing how we do things than uh, than I can recall for, for many, many years. Um, but positive with the outlook that, that uh, we will get through this and, um, you know, we will do things differently going forward. There will be a different mix. Uh, and customers are reflecting that back to us when we talk to them. So obviously this podcast is really is really centered around around banking and financial services. So so with um with that in mind Brian, do you think this is the kind of event that's being planned for? What do you think um or how do you think that the uh, the banks are, have and are responding to this? You know, that obviously there's a large part of banking that is a face-to-face -face 
is face-to-face activity and obviously there's a bit that isn't. So, you know, how do you think the banks are going to weather through this? Is this also the same tipping point that Rory just mentioned for, for banking? Matthew, to, to answer your question, I think there's two ways of answering that. I, I think over the past um, number of years, you know, all fun, any organisation, but in particular financial services organisations, have changed the way that they've dealt with um, disaster recovery, business resilience and continuity. Um, if you go back some years, organisations effectively, particularly in capital markets, adopted a process whereby they just de-risked their position. So they were not so concerned about an ongoing business capability because it was felt that there would not be an event that would drive such a prolonged business outage. Um, what we've sadly seen over the past, I guess, two decades, maybe slightly longer, is that there are now global events, uh, man-made or otherwise, that drive a different type of requirement. And that requirement is not only driven by necessity to maintain the business capability, but these are highly regulated industries and banks can't just opt not to be in business for a month while they recover. So what you're seeing now is um, a necessity to be able to run and operate a a large-scale, complex, highly regulated industry, quite often global, in in a very different way. So the organisations that I've been talking to over the past week or so are clearly dealing with the consequence of we've now got to cater for a workforce that's going to be remote working more consistently a higher rate than we've ever done before. So they'll run into the classic capacity issues. Have we got pinch points? Do we do we understand our security? Actually, when we've got all of those people remotely, can we operate the bank or the, or the organisation in a way that is deemed to be acceptable by the regulator? Because they'll all be responding to regulatory re- requests to confirm, and in some cases, evidence that they are running a bank in a secure and effective manner. So I think it's clear to say that the industry takes events such as this as a stepping point to drive the organisations in a different way. So um, the recoverability, the remote working, um, how, how effective can we be in remote working? Actually, one of the things that I think, that not so much in EMEA, but I think there are countries around the world where cash is still, you know, good old-fashioned cash is still king, how's that going to work? In, in the future, will you see a far greater acceleration to a much more prolific digital economy um, in environments that have classically been slow to, to take that up? Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of acceleration um, across the board in technology, but not only for the fundamentals. And, and it, it, if you look at some countries where cash is still absolutely the necessity and the local banks are a, are a are a linchpin of the community okay that's going to change that's going to change now so you know how do you onboard people quicker how do you onboard services quicker how do you do all that remotely at a far greater rate and pace than you've ever done before Um, and I think that will be I don't want to say the word positive as an outcome because I don't think you know they're you know dealing with what we're dealing with globally is a very difficult thing. We're all experiencing it day by day, and tomorrow is another day. We don't know what tomorrow brings, sadly. Um, but I think there will be those organisations that will start looking to the future very, very soon 
as to how they could improve the situation and what they need to do to do that. That's interesting. We, we're hearing of banks now increasing the limits that they will um, accept for touch payments. We're hearing that they're increasing the the limits that uh, will allow inter uh, inter account transfers. Um, we're hearing that that you know enabling those alternative payment methods to be even even easier for customers. But where you see economies, so and I, it struck me when I was in China last year. Everything is app. Everything is controlled by the by the app. There's there's very little cash that I saw, certainly um, that I was exposed to, let's say. Yet when I was um, in in some of the uh, well, a major European city and a major US city, I couldn't get around them without cash. So there's there's you know, a big difference, I think, in in where cash is required um, and and how you kind of get around it. And it may be that needs must, um, and that that could be the, the the changing bit. But but something that you said there struck me. There's a lot of customers where cash has been king, and now they're having to find alternative ways. And it may be they leapfrog plastic cards and go straight to phones or straight to apps. Um, but in doing that, do you, what do you think that means from like a risk position for the banks or 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 even more so for the for the customers um potentially exposing them to to new places or new fraud opportunities let's say what what are you seeing or thinking about in that space i'm going to answer that in reverse order so i think that the, the challenge has been with with digital and digitization and those wonderful words and mobility and apps and app, telephone based apps particularly that's been perceived as a millennial thing Okay, you, you, it's the uptake is far greater in the millennials and uh, the younger generations than it is in perhaps the older generation. Now, what I what I see in the community I'm in, I'm in a small village uh, where most of the people, I guess, are close to retirement age. I might argue that's me, but or, or if not, further into retirement. And you consider these people and actually, you know, ha- how easy is it for them to use an app? It's not sometimes the confidence to use an app. Sometimes it's actually the complexity to get on the app and, and actually get the app working. So I think it's beholden upon all industries and particularly in FAS to make this a much easier route. If you want, if you want to get people to use the apps, you've got to get their, that process, that client journey to get them onto the app as slick and simple as possible. And I think that will be something that will occur. That will not deter people in the way it historically has. I, mean, I, I work in technology, and um, we all do. And how many times have we gone to do something on an app and got fed up <laughs> and just gone, right, I'll do it later, right? Because because it's too difficult or it's too clunky or it's too slow. If you can make that a highly effective process, then, then I think you're on board more. Um, I think this is where we go back to, you know, the day job continues. And one of the trends we've seen particularly over the last two three four years is this whole sense of the app being uh, front and center of what companies are trying to do in terms of how they change what they do um, how they modernize how they compete how they respond to uh, you know other events in their industry Um, and it's not just financial services but they've certainly been leading the way 
um, you know, you and I, Matthew, both drive EVs. And, and you know, if you want to charge your car when you're out and about, um, there's a plethora of different apps and sign up routines, etc. You know, and I, I know you've probably had the same experience. You know, how many times you rocked up to a charge point and seen somebody desperately struggling to make it work? It's got to be made better. Um, and where, you know, EV charging companies are, are perhaps somewhat laggardly in this, um, I think we'll see stuff happen with the financial services industry and we'll see the apps improve, the sign-up process improve. Um, you know, you were referencing China. My son, uh, until recently, was uh, he's at university studying Chinese and he was on his year abroad in China. You know, couldn't have chosen the worst year to do it. Um, so he had to come rushing back. But the, exactly the same experience, you know, everything was non-cash. You know, every transaction, ordering in a bar, you know, which he seemed to do a fair amount of, it seems. Um, you know, all of that was was very much part of it. So I think, you know, what 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 um, the reason I wanted to just latch on to what Brian was saying was, you know, all about this thing of of driving a change in how we do business. Yes, you know, right now there's an immediate requirement for more resource, as, as Brian said, you know, you've you've got more happening in a certain area, you've got to burst to the cloud, you've got to uh, add capacity for remote working. But longer term, we come back to exactly what we have and have had for some time, which is there's a proliferation of apps in, in every organization, but also the quality of those apps, the design experience, the user experience has to continue to improve. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So so as you guys were talking, you got me thinking, you kind of got me thinking about the kind of the fintech space within within financial services. And and in particular, um, those that are entering in the payment space and and maybe struggling or or not getting the the take up that that they were hoping for because it feels like there's uh that that the particular market is or hasn't been keen for a particular uh, a particular change and, and and i'm not limiting this to the uk you know you you can look across across the world it may be that the situation in that we're in now opens a new market dynamic where touch payments is now is now not just accessible is preferable where previously handing the cash um, or even doing chip and pin were were okay because I think right now no one wants to touch the no one wants to, wants to touch the cash no one wants to touch the point of sale device you want to pay and go so that may that may then lead into the 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 kind of the more the fintech and and big bank consideration around that user experience so it's you know if there's an acceptance in the market we now have to make it easier well, Matthew so I think this is, this is really interesting and I think this is I think Rory's just alluded to the fact that how companies will now have to differentiate and and that differentiation will create the difference between future success or not um, we've talked about cash uh, and the way that I mean I, I to make it practical uh, I was out yesterday, I had to go shopping yesterday, and I happened to go into a store, and no cash, didn't want cash. Now for me, as an individual, using chip and pin or, or using a, a, um, a swipe payment is second nature. To some people, that 
in, in not only in our own European domain, but also globally. That's not going to be second nature. And I think we've set, already alluded to the fact that I think that, that well, I personally think that that digitization, that move to a much more digital based uh, retail economy is going to, going to come now at an accelerated rate. But what that leaves the door open for is trust. Um, and we saw a few years ago with the, you know, the, uh, the fintech boom, which was created out of a lack of trust in the, the major players um, at that time. Um, and the ability for those, the new fintech organizations to create a really slick, really slick um, and smart um, onboarding process to get new clients and get them on board. I've got traditional old bank accounts. I've got new fintech accounts, right, for very good reason for me personally. But they are, they are very slick. Um, you then start to look at, well, actually... You know, how are you going to secure that? How are you going to give confidence that you can secure it to people that it's not second nature to use electronic type payments rather than cash because they own the cash, it's in their hand, it's in their purse, it's in their wallet. Um, so for me, I think that the journey will be to give confidence that the, that the organizations, that the banks have got a very secure model, whether that be using... AI, whether that be using you know, a, a much richer security type capability at the front end to give people confidence that they can move to a digital type payment, electronic type payment process with confidence. Um, I, I can't see how, I, I wouldn't ever say it's going to be the death of cash, um, but I do think that we are going to see a big swing away now uh, from, from cash to a much more cashless society. Uh, probably like you, if I get cash in my wallet, I, I think the only place I spend it in is coffee shops, to be blunt. I don't really use cash anymore. Uh, you know, so so it, 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 is, it is second nature to me. I, I've got, you know, I've got children, we've all got children who don't use cash. I, if I asked one of my children where their bank was, they wouldn't be able to tell me because they've never been in it. I think what they'd probably say to you, Brian, is it's on my phone. Well, that 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 is Roy, That is exactly it, right? That that you know, I, I bank on my phone. They've got confidence in that product, in that device, in that app, and we all know that they they change apps repeatedly, quickly, because they're easy to adopt. They're easy to take on. My children knew more about Nutmeg, Moneybox, Chip, Revolut than I did. They were having the conversations around where they would go. I think Joe mentioned that in our first podcast, how his children are seeing money and, and referring to money. And I think that, you know, and maybe the difference now is it's it's becoming less of a, of a millennial thing and more of a societal thing that people aren't wanting to touch. I say touch the dirty money, as it were. Um, now, the other thing, though, is as governments have, have been putting restrictions in place around the world, they haven't been restricting access to banks. Banks have been classed as um, critical infrastructure or, um, or or key workers. Um, so, so there doesn't seem to have been the same the same kind of uh, panic about access to money as perhaps there was in in in, in other times. Um, what, what's your take on that, Brian? Uh, that's a great observation, Matthew. Um, I think if you remember in a not too distant past when there was you know, the, the, the economy and the banking sector particularly was under a great amount of stress and strain. There were people literally queuing outside the banks, um, you know, almost with bags to take their money away type, uh, type scenarios. 
you're not seeing that now. Um, um, you know, the great question is, why aren't you seeing that? Well, I suspect most of them are moving their money electronically. Most of them are not not worried about the security of their money. Um, and as you said, uh, uh, you know, banks need to remain open because people still need servicing financially. There will be those people, as we've described earlier on, that will want to go and get cash, that will want to go to an ATM. ATMs need to be filled up. Now, if, if we continue in the vein that we're seeing and we've just started in the UK, and if you look at Europe in terms of the, um, the accessibility for people to, to move around their own city, their own countries, um, and access to stores that, to provide you know, the, 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 um, the necessary goods, food or otherwise pharmaceuticals, um, I suspect they'll stop taking cash at some point. They will only want to take electronic payments. So you're not seeing the queues outside the bank saying, please, can I have my money? Where's my pension fund? Because most of these people now have got, you know, they've moved, the banks have moved on in their capability to provide constant access. I can sit here now and look at any all my bank accounts and understand exactly what's occurring with all of them and move money between the bank accounts at a press of a button. And I think more and more people have adopted that capability and I think it gives them reassurance that whilst they can't go and count it and put it in a big pile of coins, they know where their money is. One of the things to, to, to consider, Matthew, is actually, and I, I actually commented on this um, on, a, on a LinkedIn post earlier on this week, that was an observation from me. It, not so much, you know, it, it will happen in the UK. It's certainly happening in other countries around the world where governments are supporting uh, people on lower income, supporting people that absolutely need to get money in order to buy the necessities for, to, to, to live normal lives or as normal life as we can at the moment. Um, how do you get them that money? In, in the US, um, people used to get sent a check. They'd go to a branch and cash the check and take the money. You know, how do you do that if you're saying, actually, I don't want you to go out. I want to restrict your movement. So how do you then give someone, get someone cash or the, you know, the digital equivalent of, the ca of cash? So do you set them up a bank account? Do you give them an electronic payment card credited with the amount that you're going to give them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? So I think all of these things that we've anticipated would happen over a prolonged period of time, they're all going to get accelerated out of necessity. There's a great... I was listening to someone uh, fairly recently and they talked about there was a one of the news articles and they were comparing what was going on in the UK to World War Two in terms of you know the country coming together. And one of the comments that was made was in, in that impossible time, the possible was achieved. And I think what we're going to see is a lot of possibility come quickly in, in what would deem to be a time of great difficulty out of necessity because we will deliver stuff industries will deliver out of necessity because the barriers to entry will be removed Matthew you know you and I and Rory we all work in, in an industry which is tech and and to, to that point if you look at where the genesis of computing came from that came from that period that came from the necessity to develop to develop computational capabilities to help well, with the war effort at that time. So I think we will see new evolutions of technology. I think we will see new revolutions in technology across all industries, not just FS, in, in, in the coming years as a result of what's occurring at the moment globally.
I think that's uh, that that's really relevant to draw in where it came from. Um, you know, we've ev- everything we've seen in the last 30, 40, 50 years has often had unintended consequences. If you think of, you know, let's take for another example, you talked about World War II, Brian, um, but if you take um, the space program, the number of technologies that came out of that, who would have thought the digital photography would come because they needed to take photographs on the moon? Um, and I think we'll see more of that. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier about, um, you know, ha- having to differentiate yourself as an organization uh, in order to, to do better once all of this comes to comes to rest. Uh, I'd like to circle back to something you asked earlier, Matthew. You were talking about good and bad and, and you know, uh, how this would all work. And, and you know, clearly there's uh, there's the potential for good and we're talking about all of that. There's always the security implications. Uh, and that's something that people have been asking about and talking about. Frankly, I think there will always be a security challenge where there is gain for somebody whose motives are not so great. Um, and and it, it's been a continuous game of cat and mouse uh, ever since the first bit of barter was, you know, I'll give you some barley for, for some of your goat's milk, um, you know, and, and trying to gain an advantage from that one way or the other. So, uh, you know, um, it, it's possibly a topic that we could explore, but frankly, I think it's, it's going to be much the same as it ever was. People will try and game the system. Some people will try and uh, uh, break the rules and bend the rules and, and access it. And all we can do is ensure that we are uh, improving security, designing it in from the ground up. It should never be something that's added on afterwards. So I think I think this kind of the banking of unbanked of um getting payments to uh to more people um to this kind of whole change of change of dynamic of how payments are made and and maybe even how banks are being consumed i think that kind of brings us almost back to the beginning and and the the criticality for uh, for our customers to be online to stay online to have the the, the capacity and capability to be online and one of the things that one of the things that I think is useful a useful kind of grounding in in this is is that kind of difference between business co- continuity um, and operational resilience. As you know, Matthew, I've spent a good part of the past couple of decades really involved in some way uh, around disaster recovery capabilities, business operational resilience, um, business continuity planning, all the way through to running the business resilience business line within a consultancy um and th- that that in fact that evolution is is in itself is quite clear business is now recovery is a given you have to recover um but actually what the regulatory side says is you have to run you have to be able to run. now you can run in a reduced manner but you can only do that for a limited period of time you you can't opt out um as as you potentially thought you could do many years ago. You could just, you know, for, if you were a capital markets organisation and you suffered a disastrous event, which people normally associate physically with a building, so you had a work area recovery site where you could take trading communities and put them elsewhere. Well, that's very different in, in the way that people trade now, and actually the regulatory side says, well, you can't just opt out of the market. You can't just say, I'm not going to be in the market for a couple of days because we're having a rough time. So, you know, that operational resilience is, is key. Now, how that manifests itself in, in what we see going on around us now is, you know, 
online, the the economy which was growing online is now swung online. Okay, um, because people will, will now transact considerably more online. There'll be more online commerce than, than there has been previously. There are more people online now. Um, I said earlier on, I, I live in a village. About six o'clock at night, you you. You know, if this was being held at six o'clock at night, you won't be able to hear me because someone's consuming all the bandwidth in the village, um, and, I, and it's not the pub. So um, that move now moves away to more online, moves away to more point of sale being online, moves to a, a different enhanced security need as we as we do that. We've still got to be secure, um, and the banks. You know, and as in other industries, have to be able to contend with that increased demand in an area where they they wouldn't have wanted it, wouldn't have expected it, because it had been a natural growth. This this will be a step change growth. So that operational resilience, that necessity to manage and to be aware of your pinch points, to understand your performance indicators in terms of how you are performing. Uh, from a capacity perspective, from your transaction perspective, the implications of where your workloads are, how you're sustaining those is vital. And, and not least because, and we inferred to earlier, the regulator will be asking each and everyone to give evidence and prove that they are operating as normal, operating within the, the, their, their license, and that they are secure and they're protecting their clients and their customers. That's what they'll be doing. I think what is interesting with that, Brian, is, and it's something we've seen in the last couple of years, is that where previously the regulators and let's not forget the end of year auditors were the people holding back process, uh, we've seen them come along that digital transformation path and, and understand the uh, dynamism of, of modern financial business and, and you know adjust their processes to, to match. So I completely endorse that. I think, you know, if I can chip in on this, Matthew, you know, business continuity particularly is something that we've been uh, banging the drum on for at least the last 10 years. And it's something that we have particular expertise in as an organization uh, offering to our, our customers around the globe. Um, operation resilience, a newer concept, but I think you, you bring it up um, at a relevant point in time because as, as Brian said, the basic processes have to keep running uh, and and now they are mandated to keep running by the regulators as well as just you know basic business practice so uh, being able to have multiple clouds uh, as as more and more of our customers do particularly in in financial sys, um, and to be able to manage your workloads your applications your processes your projects across whichever cloud they happen to live on including your own in-house private cloud but to do that with one team and one tool set and one set of applications rather than the old way of uh, creating multiple silos you know you have one for your network one team for your storage and and you know they never talk to each other except friday night down the pub that can't work today. So we have to have better operational tool sets to give that operation resilience that is utterly critical to the performance of organizations. Yes, in, in the particular circumstances we find ourselves in right now with you know a nationwide lockdown, but just 
in general, going forward, it's it's going to be mandatory, frankly, uh, for people to, to operate in that way. And we'd love to help. One of the things that I am seeing, and I'm sure we're all seeing, is the, the, the rise of community, which is which feels good, even that be online or, or supporting your local community in, in some way, because we're all social animals at the end of the day. And that's why many of us were you know, interacting as we do over this medium is great and i'm sure people will suffer with fatigue my you know we we have a lot of knowledge we have a lot of insight in the organization we've we've brought together some some really strong opinions and strong ideas and strong thoughts around how this could help our clients and the industry at large um and and i'd encourage people just to reach out and, and and seek some of our understanding our insights and how they may help them deal with the challenges that they're dealing with today because today's challenges are going to be very practical and and they're going to be real um and and i know that inside vmware we have got the ability to help our clients deal with that yes i think that's absolutely spot on brian couldn't agree more and i think you know as as we navigate the next few weeks and months uh, we will see that come to pass let's hope Absolutely, guys. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I think at the moment we're in the virtual community and it'd be great to get back to uh, a situation where we're actually out talking with people again in their offices um, and, and them in ours. Obviously, VMware does have solutions in in this space and we would, would welcome the conversations with, with any customers, um, you know, if, if they're at a point of dire need or if they're just trying to plan out what they need to do for for either next steps now or or within their pro, uh, projects ahead okay so i think i think it would be good if um if we could come back at some point and, and see how things have moved on and share the the um the experiences we've had over these these next few weeks um and and to see whether maybe the cash predictions come true or not thanks a lot guys thanks matthew cheers guys if we can help you in any way, please talk with your VMware account team or you can contact me on LinkedIn, Matthew O'Neill, or Twitter at Matthew O'N, through which you can also connect with Brian or Rory. Thank you for listening. I hope you can join us again next time. Please do take care of yourself.